Okay, and we'll go ahead and get started. Thank you for joining us today. I'm Brittany. I am the Communications and Grower Education Manager for the Idaho Wheat Commission. Today for our From the Field, we are talking with Peter Christofferson about succession planning. So Peter is an attorney in Idaho Falls um, who specializes in inheritance and succession planning. So Peter, is there anything else you want to tell us about yourself? Uh, thank you, Brittany. I'm, uh, like Brittany said, I'm an attorney in Idaho Falls of the firm of Holden, Kidwell, Hahn, and Crapo. I've been here since 2009. I've been practicing law since 2003. I spent the first six years in Dallas and have been here uh, in Idaho Falls ever since. Uh, as Brittany mentioned, I mainly do estate planning and real estate, uh, including business transitions that involve real estate. Uh, and so, uh, as I was telling Brittany before we got on, uh, uh, this is what I what I think about all day, every day. So, um, uh, ho hopefully, you'll have lots of questions. Hopefully, you'll have something I've never heard before, and and you'll stump me. So that'll, that'll be good for all of us. Thank you. And just a reminder, you are all welcome to ask questions. You can uh, just unmute your microphone or you can type them into the chat if you're more comfortable doing that and I will ask for you. Um, okay, so what? why do we need estate planning? Yeah. So, um, well, first off, let me just say that it is, it is an honor to be talking to the uh, Idaho Wheat Commission because Two years ago, the pandemic started, and we all found out that Walmart stalkers were the uh, were the most valuable people in the world. And now uh, Russia invaded Ukraine, and we now find out that the wheat farmers are the most valuable people in the world. So congratulations on that. Um, let's see here. Let's start with, uh, and, and the title of this was Five Things You Need to Know About Succession Planning. My, my number one thing was to say that you already have a succession plan, whether you know it or not. Uh, the path of re least resistance is to do nothing. And if you do nothing, you already have a, a succession plan, and that's the succession plan that is built into the Idaho Code. And so the statute will determine Unless you, deter, unless you do something otherwise, the statute will determine what happens to all of your property, including your farm. And, and uh, it's called the intestacy statute. Intestacy means dying without a will. And uh, one of the things that that statute says is that all of your community property uh, will go to your spouse and, uh, and your separate property will be split between your spouse and your kids. Um, what is separate property? Well, if you if you got married and you brought property with you into the marriage, that would be your separate property. Or um, if you had an inheritance, inheritance is, is separate property. But pretty much everything else you own is probably community property. And your spouse is going to, to get that. Now, if you're in a second marriage situation and you're, you have a spouse and that spouse has her own kids, um, uh, when you die, all the community property goes to your spouse, and if she doesn't have a will and she dies, uh, all that uh, all that property will go to her kids uh, and not and not yours. Um, and so you have a succession plan in place. It's the Idaho Code, and it may or may not be what you want. Um, let's say that you're the second to die. Let's say your spouse dies first. The Idaho Code says if you die and you don't have a will, then all of your property goes equally to your kids. 
Um, and, and so uh, that may or may not be what you want. You might have one or two kids who have a lot of involvement with the farm and really are the ones who ought to get the, the farm or, or most of it when you, when you die. And uh, if you don't plan otherwise, uh, it's going to go equally to, to all the kids. So um, just be aware that you already have an estate plan. Uh, and if you want to deviate from that, then uh, then we need to we need to talk, or you need to talk to an attorney about how to structure things so it goes the way you want. Um, fair is not always equal, and equal is not always fair. So the first thing I'd say is um, you have an estate plan, and it may may or may not be what you want. So let's let's talk about that. Um, the second thing I would say would be uh, to consider an LLC a limited liability company. Um, it gives you the maximum uh, amount of flexibility uh, to, to put your, your farm in an LLC either now or when you, when you die. Uh, the beauty of an LLC is it allows you to, um, to spread decision-making about the farm and the operation um, uh, among as many or as few people as you want. So you can just designate who will the decision makers be. Uh, will that be one person? Will that be many people? Um, and, and so you, you can decide that in an LLC. The other thing you could do uh, in an LLC is you can spread the economic benefit, the income off of the farm uh, um, among as many or as few people as you want, and the income does not necessarily have to be tied exactly to the decision-making authority. Uh, just recently, we had a family, six children, two children very involved in the family business, the other four not involved hardly at all. What we did for that client was we created voting units, they're like shares in a corporation, voting units in an LLC and non-voting units. And so we gave all of the decision-making to the two who were involved in the company, two who were involved in the day-to-day -day operations, but we made all six children uh, members of the, of the LLC. In other words, they, they got some economic benefit from the company and its, and its uh, profitability, but had no hand in the decision-making. So they weren't able to interfere with the business judgment of the two who are really involved. And so we can, we can split up economic benefit from decision-making and we can spread those two things among as many or as few people as you, as you want. Um, an alternative to doing an LLC would be to give one or more of your children the option to buy the farm from your estate when you die. And usually we do that at some kind of discounted rate uh, so that the one it doesn't financially put an undue financial burden on the one that's buying. Um, and in that way, the, the kids who aren't involved in the farm will get some economic benefit because they'll get uh, portions of the purchase price that's paid by the buying child. Um, but the buying child will get the benefit of having the farm outright in his or her, in his or her name. Uh, so uh, all I would say about an LLC is it, if you can dream it, we can write it. Uh, no matter what your, what your ideas are about how to structure this, if you can dream it, we can, we can write it. Uh, but we have to, it has to be more than a dream. We have to put it down on paper uh, because uh, everybody remembers mom and dad's uh, wishes and intent 
differently after you're gone. Uh, and and you'll, you'll, you may think that you've explained exactly what you want to your kids uh, really well, but I guarantee if it's not written down and it's not crystal clear, uh, everybody will have a different recollection about what mom and dad really wanted uh, before they died. So LLC, consider an LLC gives you great flexibility, but we need to have, you need to have uh, someone who's, who does LLCs as a full-time job to write the constitution for that LLC. So it, it captures exactly what you want and, and it's, it's clear. And, and that way, even if you or an I and, and everybody who was, who was there uh, is gone and nobody's there to tell you, to tell everyone what, what was intended, the document itself will explain, here's what's supposed to happen uh, in this LLC. Um, any, any questions at this point? I've got three more things to talk about. Um, but so far we've said you already have a plan, you, whether you know it or not, it's in the statute and we can deviate from that plan, but you have to, you have to actually uh, uh, get something in writing. Uh, two, to consider an LLC. Um, okay, uh, the third thing, uh, remember the step up in tax basis. And that's probably a term that you've heard before. Um, all assets that you own, land, uh, stock, um, everything that you own at the time of your death gets a step up in, in tax basis or an, an adjustment in tax basis. Um, you understand that, that tax basis is basically uh, in, in simplistic terms, it is the amount that you paid for your property when you when you bought it. Now, there's depreciation and some other things that, 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 that influence that. But um, if you just to take an example, if you bought property, um, you know, 40 years ago for three hundred thousand dollars and today that property is worth a million dollars. If you, if you sell that property today for a million dollars and you bought it at 300,000, you will realize at the point of sale, you'll realize a $700,000 gain uh, on that property. And so um, you'll be taxed on that $700,000. Now, let me run the same scenario differently. Let's say you don't sell that property now, but you hold on to it and you die. Uh, that property at the time of your death gets a step up in tax basis. That means whatever the value of that property is when you die, um, that's, that's the tax basis that, that your heirs will receive in the property. So it's as, if, uh, it's as if they purchased the property from you for that amount at the time of your death. So let's, let's run the scenario. Let's say you, you die and you leave a spouse and that spouse inherits the farm and the farm is worth a million dollars. You bought it for 300,000, now it's worth a million. And your spouse turns around and sells that property immediately for a million dollars. Well, she has a million dollar tax basis in that property, which means when she sells it for a million, she realizes zero taxable gain. So there are advantages to holding on to property um, until you until you die because of the step step up in tax basis. Um, another way to achieve the same thing is to deed property but reserve a life estate. Uh, let's say you deeded a property to your son, but you reserved a life estate. That means that during your life, you have 
all the rights of ownership, the right to use the property, to lease it out to somebody, anything you want to do with the property, uh, you know, other than sell it, uh, you have the rights of ownership for the remainder of your life. And then as soon as you die, the property automatically vests in the, in the grantee that you, that you conveyed the property to. In this example, your, your son. Um, and, and that son will get the same tax benefit. Uh, the title will vest in your son and he'll get to step up in tax basis at the point of your death and will we'll, uh, have all the advantages of that higher tax basis. Um, the one downside to conveying property with a reserved life estate is that if you ever change your mind and now you say, well, instead of, instead of transferring it to my son, I'd rather just sell it now. Uh, because you've already deeded it over to your son with a reserved life estate, you have to go get your son's consent and get him to sign that deed with you uh, if you're going to sell to a third party. So it does take uh, the future authority to decide the fate of that property out of your hands uh, when, you, when you deed something with a reserved life estate. Okay, so we've covered three out of the five. Uh, are there any questions at this point? Don't see any. Okay. Doesn't look like it. Okay. Uh, number four. Uh, one of the most common questions I get as an estate planning attorney is, uh, do I need a trust or do I need a will? And um, that's, that's a, we could devote not only this whole half hour, but many hours to that discussion. But let me simplify the issues. Uh, you'll have people come to you and swear that everybody needs a trust. Uh, and typically those are people from places like California. Um, and let me just say that if I were a California estate planning attorney advising people who reside in California, I would have everybody do a trust because uh, California has some very archaic probate statutes on the books that make it just horrific to, to, not, to, to have to go through probate in California. That is not the case in Idaho. Uh, and so if you're, if you're um, saying, oh, I need a trust to avoid probate, and you intend to pretty much live in, in, in Idaho and have this be your primary residence until you die, uh, I would not say you need a trust to avoid probate because it's just not like it is in California. Probate in, in Idaho, uh, dying, in other words, dying with a will or dying without a trust, is not a problem in Idaho. We have the most efficient probate statute uh, in the country. And, uh, and so avoiding probate in my mind is not a legitimate reason to force yourself to have a trust and to have to convey title to all of your property and all of your vehicles and every titled asset, your bank accounts and, and put those all in the trust only to be retitled again when you die. Uh, to me, it's most of the time it's just extra work. Um, what are examples of when you might want to trust, even if you live in Idaho? Well, I usually say, and this is a this is a simplification, but uh, but basically, if you have minor children, or if you have some reason to want to to exert control over your assets for some period after you die, for some amount of years after you die, uh, the trust a trust is a vehicle to do that. Um, all a trust is, is it's conveying legal title to someone called a trustee over some assets, and that those assets are for the benefit of somebody, uh, some one or more people who are the beneficiaries. 
So you're conveying the, the property to the trustee. The trustee holds the property, but the trustee holds the property for the benefit of the beneficiaries. And so um, I gave you one example. When you have minor children, uh, you don't want them maybe at the age of 15 or the age of 18 to receive a, a big fat inheritance. Uh, and so you put the property in trust, you appoint a responsible person as the trustee, that person watches over the inheritance, uh, spends it on the kids as they're growing up, and then and then gives them their inheritance at some point in time that you that you say, you determine uh, whether that's 25, 30, 35, or some combination of those ages. Uh, another, another example of when you might want to trust is, let's say you're in a second marriage situation and you have a spouse and you have kids from a prior marriage and, and you think, well, my spouse will probably outlive me and I want my spouse to have income uh, after I die. Uh, one way to accomplish that is to put your, your income generating property in a trust and, and have the income off of the trust property go to your spouse until your spouse dies. And then at that point, uh, transfer the the property to your kids or or uh, their inherit they get their inheritance at that point again you're exerting some control over your properties for some period after after you die and a trust is the vehicle is the vehicle to do that um, uh, a trust is not does not usually give you extra liability protection it doesn't it doesn't make it more or less likely that your estate is going to be challenged in court. Uh, if someone's going to challenge your will, they can challenge your trust. Um, uh, you can put a no contest clause in either one of those documents, a will or a trust. Uh, typically, um, a trust is not going to save you taxes. Um, so it's not better liability protection, not tax protection. Um, there, there is a, a, an exception to that, uh, which, I'll, which I'll talk to you um, about here, um, that is, if you have a taxable estate, and right now a taxable estate is um, is any well, a taxable estate is any 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 amount of wealth you have that is above the lifetime exemption. Right now, the lifetime exemption is twelve million, roughly, per person. Each person, a husband and a wife together, could could pass on twenty four million in wealth. Uh, tax-free to their posterity, um, uh, that that amount, that $12 million personal exemption amount is, is going to be cut in half uh, starting in 2026 to about $6 million. Uh, and so if you find yourself uh, having assets uh, that, that are, you know, where you're bumping up against that ceiling, uh, then there, we may need to do some tax planning and, uh, and a trust could be part of that tax planning uh, that will allow you to capture both the husband's and the wife's lifetime exemption so you can pass on the maximum amount of value without it being subject to a state tax. So, uh, so trusts do have uh, a role to play in, in tax planning. So if you're definitely, if you, if you look at your real property and you say, boy, you know, with the increase in values over the years now, it's it's worth several million, and I may be bumping up against the uh, the, the the threshold for a, a state tax. Uh, then we need to do some 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 tax planning. But uh, for the vast majority of us, myself included, a will is sufficient, and we don't have to worry about a state tax.
Um, okay, uh, last, last of my five points. Um, what if you want to sell your property? Um, what if you want to sell your farm before you die? Um, the simplest way to do that is a cash transaction. And that means the buyer is either super wealthy or the buyer goes out and gets a loan from the bank. And on the closing day, they pay you cash and you are, you are done. Uh, you, instead of having a farm, now you have cash. Uh, the, the downside to that arrangement is that you're receiving all of the, all of the proceeds at once. And so if you have a low tax basis in your property, uh, then you're going to be taxed on a significant gain. Um, one, one way that people uh, reduce taxes uh, is by selling with some form of seller financing. In other words, instead of, instead of the buyer going out and getting a loan from a bank, you, the seller, become the bank. And, uh, and the buyer signs a promissory note to you. So maybe they pay 10% of the purchase price or 25% of the purchase price at closing, but the balance, the remaining 90 or 75% or whatever percent, uh, gets paid to you over time, uh, over whatever, 5, 10, 15, 20 years. Um, let's say it's over 20 years and you're worried about, hey, I may not live for 20 more years. That's okay. Uh, your estate receives the income stream on that promissory note after you die. Um, uh, but you're going to want to have security. You're going to want to have some recourse against the property if the buyer fails to pay. Uh, and that's usually by filing a mortgage against the property. So you become the mortgage holder and the buyer slash borrower is, is the debtor on that mortgage. And if they fail to meet their requirements, making the payments on the promissory note, just like a bank, you can instigate foreclose, foreclosure proceedings and you can, you can foreclose on that property uh, to make sure that you get paid. Um, so I would just say that if you're going to go that route, if you're going to extend seller financing uh, to your buyer, um, that, that those documents, the promissory note and the mortgage should really be drawn up by someone who knows what they're doing. And so, you know, even if you, uh, even if you have a family member who went through a divorce and they had a really good divorce attorney, if that divorce attorney doesn't do real estate law and real estate finance, maybe choose somebody else. Maybe you had a, a cousin who got a DUI and they had the world's best uh, criminal lawyer representing them. Well, that criminal lawyer doesn't do real estate as a, as a big part of their practice. Uh, maybe not go with that attorney. Go with someone who really knows their stuff and can protect your interests so that if, any, if there's any hiccup in that process of the, uh, uh, of, of the seller, of the buyer paying you the purchase price on that promissory note, that you have the right remedies that you can resort to and it's all done properly so that you're fully protected uh, if you decide to accept the purchase price over time. Okay, so we went really fast, uh, but let me just re recap those five things to think about. Uh, thing number one is you already have an estate plan. You already have a succession plan. Even if you haven't made one of your own, uh, and if you fail to make one of your own, the Idaho statutes will fill in the blanks, and they will determine how your property goes to your posterity after you die. So if you want to deviate from what the statute says, uh, you need to uh, meet with an attorney and, and uh, draw up your own estate plan that is different from what the Idaho Code says.
Uh, point number two, uh, consider an LLC. An LLC gives maximum flexibility. It allows uh, you to determine who the decision makers will be over your, over your business, over your farm in the future. That can be as many or as few people as you want it to be. Uh, you can spread the economic benefit of the farm over as many or as few people as you want. Um, really, the LLC gives you, in addition to liability protection, it gives you a lot of flexibility uh, with regard to um, how the benefits of your of your farm are going to go uh, after you're after you're gone. Uh, remember that any assets you do hold, including real estate, including your farm, at the time of your death, get an adjustment in tax basis when you die, um, and so they get a step up in tax basis, which can end up saving your posterity lots of tax dollars if and when they go to sell that property. And that step up occurs when either owner, either husband or wife, uh, dies, the property gets a step up in tax base of, basis at, at both deaths. Uh, fourth, um, for most people, a will is sufficient. Uh, if, you, if you're thinking about a trust, uh, don't just form a trust for, for trust's sake. A trust is a really good vehicle to use if you want to exert control over your property for some reason, for some period, significant period after your death. Then you appoint a trustee whose judgment you trust and you give that trustee direction as to what they're supposed to do with your assets after you die for, for some period. Um, and then finally, uh, Remember that if you're going to sell your property and you're going to extend uh, seller financing and allow your buyer to pay you over time, make sure that you get good advice and that transaction is well documented so that you're protected should there be any hiccups in the process. Those are my five points. Um, if you can, maybe there are other points that, that uh, are, are better for your situation. Uh, so feel free to ask questions about anything I did cover or anything I didn't cover. Okay, so just, just a reminder, you can put your questions in the chat or you can turn off your microphone and ask yourself. Um, one question that I have, Peter, is when, this, when a plan is created, does it need to be reviewed periodically after yeah. it's been developed? Yeah, yeah, my... my um my recommendation is to get out your estate planning documents every three to five years or any time that there's a significant life event in the family. Um, uh, for example, if you have a child that passes away, um, that might change the way you think about how you want your estate to go. Um, but at any rate, even if you don't have a major life event in the family, every three to five years, get it out, make sure that it's, it's what you want. And, and for that matter, I tell people when they are making their estate plan, just think about the next three to five years. If you try to think about 20 years down the road, there's so many unknowns and contingencies. Think about what, what if I die the next three to five years? What would I want to have happen? And that's how we write it up. And then you just revisit it in that interval and you decide if that's still what you want. Okay. Can you tell us a few of the pros and cons of an LLC? Um, the uh, some of the pros, uh, the flexibility I mentioned, uh, also 
something a lot of people don't know is you can choose an LLC is flexible in taxation as well. Your LLC can be taxed um, as a partnership. It can be taxed as a sole proprietorship. It can be taxed as an S corporation. You can get all the benefits of an S corporation in an LLC if you file an S corporation election. Uh, you, can, you can be taxed as a C corp. Uh, so lots of flexibility, both in terms of management, in terms of spreading the economic benefit among people, in terms of taxation, uh, lots of flexibility. Uh, and, and all of the all of the same kind of liability protection that you get with a corporation. Uh, and so it has all the liability protection, lots of flexibility. Um, downside to an LLC, there really, there really isn't, isn't much of a downside to an LLC um, other than I can think of a couple of things. One, some government programs require you to have your operating entity be a partnership uh, and not an LLC. So sometimes to comply with government uh, program requirements, you have to you have to have a partnership or some other entity and not an LLC. Um, the other thing I was thinking of uh, with an LLC is, um, you know, some some people say, "Do I want to put my property in a trust or in an LLC?" Well, if you if you put it in into an LLC, uh, whoever's in charge of that LLC, um, whoever has the voting rights in that LLC, is going to be able to decide. Uh, what they do with that, with the property that's in the LLC. And so um, if you just cannot imagine ever wanting your property to be sold, if you wanna keep it in the family for generations, if you wanna put some restrictions on, on what can be done uh, with that property, if you put it in an LLC, you, you, you release the reins and whoever's owners of that LLC going forward, they're gonna be the decision makers. And they will decide whatever they want to decide, whatever is best for them. And that may be selling the property um, that's in the LLC. And so I would just say that if, if that causes you a lot of heartburn and you want the family to keep the property in the family, at least for a generation or something, um, the LLC may not be the vehicle you want. You might want to put your property into a trust and stipulate in that trust document that the property can't be sold or the property can't be sold for a number of years or the property uh, 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 can only be sold uh, if there's you know, unanimous consent of all of the beneficiaries or, or, or what have you. Um, so um, uh, a little, you get a little more control perhaps if you put it into a, into a trust instead of an LLC. Okay. One other question in the chat. Um, Let's see. I want to make sure I get this right. So there are, there are a lot of free forms on Google or that sort of thing to create your, your will or your, your estate plan. Is it really necessary to go through an attorney or can I figure that out on my own? Um, I, I would say this, um, a, a good attorney, uh, can add a lot of value, um, uh, and uh, you can get um, a, a form, uh, but that form may not be the best suited for your personal situation. Uh, and and a good attorney will help you think through all the possibilities, and uh, and help you to uh, to choose what's best for your situation. Um, 
I, I can't tell you the number of times I've sat down with people and uh, we have uh, a 30-minute conversation and, and all of a sudden uh, they say, you know, I'm so glad we came and saw you. Uh, I had no idea that we could do these, these things that you're suggesting. It never crossed my mind. Um, and so um, just, just like you probably wouldn't uh, do your own taxes if you have a, the complexity of a farm, you probably wouldn't do your own, own taxes without consulting with a, with a CPA. Uh, I, would not, uh, I would not do my own estate planning uh, unless I had an attorney, and uh, not just any attorney, again, someone who really does this, who thinks about this stuff all the time. I wouldn't sell my business uh, without an advisor um, who thinks about this stuff all the time. Um, you know, you don't know what you don't know. And that's the, that's the risk you run uh, when, you, when you get forms and try to do everything, everything yourself. All right, thank you. Does anyone else have any questions for Peter? There's one here. Uh, you, talk, you mentioned briefly about how some government programs require you to have an LLC. If you're moving from a partnership, um, if you're moving away from a partnership or an LLC, does that cost more money in government payments down the road or do you not receive those payments? Um, yeah, the one, the one thing I'm, I'm aware of is that some government programs require you to have a partnership, um, and a, and a partnership, unfortunately, doesn't give you the same kind of liability protections as an LLC, um, but that's what the, well, that's what that particular program requires. Um, I'm, I'm not aware of, uh, of, of a government program that would require you to have an LLC, maybe they might be SBA um, uh, programs that, that uh, require an LLC, but, but no, I mean, um, be, be cognizant of, of what, what those requirements are. Your FSA uh, contact would be a good one to bounce off uh, questions about, uh, do I still need this partnership or uh, can I have some other form of, of entity? Um, you know, don't, don't rush into and making a bunch of changes uh, without a without a complete knowledge of what uh, what the government program requirements are. Okay, thank you so much. I don't see any other questions. If anyone has one, hurry and let me know now. Um, otherwise, thank you so much, Peter, for joining us today. Um, this uh, the recording of this episode will be available on our YouTube at Idaho Wheat and on whatever podcast platform you get your podcasts from later this afternoon. Um, and I will include on our website at idahoe.org Peter's contact information with the recording of this episode so that you can reach out to him if you want to. Okay, anything else? All right. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much. Thank Have you. Bye.